There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more. ¿Qué tal amigos? Mi nombre es Roman Rojas y Tremenda Vaina es el podcast donde te contamos cuatro historias que desafían la realidad. De las cuatro historias solamente una es mentira. ¿Cuál será? En el último episodio de Tremenda Vaina te contamos de un muchacho en China que vendió una parte de su cuerpo para comprarse un iPad. ¿Será verdad? ¿Será mentira? Suscríbete en iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify o tu plataforma favorita. También nos puedes seguir en Twitter, Instagram o Facebook. All right, you guys, it is that time on the show here at Latinos Out Loud where we interview someone amazing, amazing. Do you feel it in my voice? I just love how many authors we've had on the show because I just, I hope our listeners are taking these as our picks, okay? Move over, Oprah, because we got a new list, <laughs> all right? And It's the LOL book club, you know? <laughs> I love it. No, Jamie, I'm so serious. Should we start a freaking book club? I think we should. I think it's time. All right, well, first rule of book club, no talking about book club, all right? Well, we have to talk about it because then how's people going to know? They're not going to know about it if we don't talk about it. All right, so the, the rules to fight club don't apply to the LOL book right, club. It okay. doesn't apply to book club. All right, sorry, wrong, wrong movie, wrong idea. But we have a wonderful guest with us here. She's the author of several different titles, the most recent being Infinite Country. Please put your hands together for Patricia Engel. Hello. Woo! Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Hi, but is it, did we, did I make your name too Latina? Like Patricia or is it Patricia? <laughs> My mother named me Patricia. Ah. Like her, she has the same name. It's just that I grew up with people being unable to say that. So I've become, you know, um, comfortable with whatever people are comfortable pronouncing, but my mother <laughs> calls me Patricia. Well, that's beautiful. And where are you from? I, I know you're, you know, it's in your writing, but you represent hard for your country of origin. My parents are Colombian. Uh, I was born in New Jersey and I was raised in New Jersey. Um, but I'm a dual citizen just as the daughter of Colombians. Oh. Is that like across the board? Like you have to school us. We're just a bunch of Dominicans and Jamie's like a mishmash of stuff. Like you got to take us to school right now because uh, that, that's uh, actually I'm unfamiliar with this. I'd love to know about dual citizenship and, you know, Ciudadanos de Colombia. Yeah, I mean, every country has uh, their procedures, I'm sure. It's, I think, um, a matter of paperwork. If you have a child or if, if you've never gotten around to it and you're the child of citizens of another country, you can apply for it probably as an adult if you have the birth certificates and everything they ask for at the embassy or consulate. Um, you know, it's um, at this point, it's more... Uh, symbolic than anything else. It's something that means something to me. Um, 
And uh, it's nice when I'm there to be able to sort of move around with my Colombian passport. Mm. Um, and it's not like it used to be in years past where if you got or had a, a secondary citizenship, you would have to give up the other one. It's not like that anymore. Oh, okay. Right? Because like for Dominicans, it's almost like bragging rights. Uh, people talk about it all the time. It's like, oh, tu tienes un cédula. Like it's, it doesn't do anything but collect dust. <laughs> but to know that you have it is like... Man, of course I got my cellular son. Like, what are you, stupid? <laughs> Which I do not, by the way. But I just found out that even as a halfer, because I'm half Dominican, I can still get it. Um, I love where this interview is going. It's going far away from the book, and it's focusing on citizenship. <laughs> Let's reel it back in, please. Um, so shout out to Simon and Schuster. All right. So, like, tell us about Infinite Country, because there's a deep message here. But I would love for the author herself to explain it. Well, Infinite Country tells the story of a family of five uh, who are uh, separated um, over 20 or so years as a result of immigration and deportation. And it explores how a family remains a family across um, time and distance and uncertainty and how love transcends borders. And the five different family members, the two parents and the three children, um, just because of their age and where they happen to be born, all occupy a different space on this spectrum of um, migratory status statuses and the ways that their lives then are defined sometimes um, by those statuses. So it's an exploration of uh, family and love and and really the the myth of borders and how a family remains a family. Now this topic is 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 very like timely now, right? And as far as immigration and families being, you know, apart from each other, is this something that like is the world today, was that something that inspired you kind of like how everything has been a lot of the immigration kind of how the U.S. is handling a lot of that uh, in the last couple of years? You know, it, uh, a lot of people say that, that it's a timely story. Um, I, I think it's a very old story. And the right. more I think about it, it's the oldest story this country has. Mm. Preach. Every single person, aside from indigenous peoples in this country, has this story somewhere in their family lineage. They have either their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents uh, or an ancestor way back who either by force or by choice was that person that left the homeland and disrupted the family tree and changed the family history forever, dislocating them, changing them. They are no longer what they were, right? So it is a story of now, but it's a story of always and forever in the United States and also the history of this planet because humans are, after all, migratory species. Uh, so, um, but the story takes place over, you know, start, begins in the late 90s. Oh, and I no. think one thing that you see in the novel is how the conversation around immigration has changed and been manipulated um, over the last 20 or so years with the turn of the millennium, 9-11, and how um, the media and, and politicians have um, changed the way foreigners are seen in this country to serve special interests. Mm. 
Oh my gosh, but uh, Patricia, I cannot tell you what a chord you just struck with sharing that because you're right. We all have these stories. My great grandmother shook the family tree apple cart and brought her nine children to this country from the Dominican Republic. And had she not shaken that Dominican apple cart, I would have been, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I would have been out there <laughs> playing in the streets and shit, you know? Um, I'm just saying, like, what what guts that must have taken her to just, like, pack all these suitcases. And, and shout out to all the other, you know, great-grandmothers and grandmothers and mothers who shook that apple cart. Because they're all out there listening. Their children are listening right now. Yeah. That is so relatable. So, okay, I'm, I'm kind of hearing where the inspiration from the story came from. Tell us more. Like, was this the story of your family? You know, my family has our own immigration story. Um, my my Bogota, where a lot of the novel is set, is my mother's hometown. Um, so in a way, they have in common that my parents um, started their life together in the United States as newlyweds, sort of banking on a, on a better or at least more interesting future and felt all the, the homesickness and loss of the homeland that the family in infinite country feels. But... Um, I've known so many families like this family in infinite country that have been touched by separation and time and distance. So this is such a common story to me. Um, but yeah, I could say that it's part my family, but this is a family all its own too and, and with its own unique trajectory. So um, this is a, being that this is a Colombian family, what, do you what kind of research do you do for for writing a book like this? I mean, obviously this is you're dealing with like a lot of serious topics and themes. Do you do an extensive kind of research on it? Um, or is it stuff that you're just writing notes on continuously for a certain period of time and then just put them all together? Like what's your process? This is a bit of both of those things. You know, um I'm just like a person, right? Everything I see and experience and think about or I'm told or I observe it, it's all, it all comes through me. So it's a part of me in certain ways. But I'm um, a really dedicated researcher with everything that I write because as a reader, it annoys me so much when I'm reading something and I can tell the writer was sloppy or superficial in their research. Or like I know more about what they're writing about than they do because they just didn't bother. <laughs> so even things that are firsthand knowledge to me, I still will research um, just out of respect to the, to the subject and to the material and to the people and the communities I'm writing about because I take that very seriously, um, the need to get things right. So, um, you know, uh, readers at least who are putting their trust in me as the writer who's giving them this story, you know, their, their faith at least is not shaken. Yo, I got to shout out my dad real quick because my dad was also one of those people that were like very annoyed by fake facts so much so that he was he was the guy that would get the number to the publisher or the headquarters of the newspaper. Dear Daily News, Mike Lupica said something very wrong in his column. Uh, I just want to shout out my dad real quick for being that like unpaid fact checker because aren't they out there, Patricia? Have you ever been like, tell us. Of the emails that I get, you know, and listen, I, I work hard for every little detail in my books and, you know, I'll get an email that, you know, 
the street corner and that park and that town, you know, it's a, uh, there's, it's not in the shade at that time of day, the way you wrote. No way. No way. Wow. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Are you serious right now? Yeah, there's always someone. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're right. <laughs> That's so great. And then what was homeboy out there with like a, a una sombrilla, like an umbrella and a compass, like waiting for the shade to hit? Like, what was he recording? The sun's rays? Come on. There's always someone who knows more than you. That's the thing. Um, I, I would love to dig into your past a little, Patricia, if you don't mind, because our listenership, it, it really consists of just aspirational go-getters across different industries, writers, directors, you know, actors, comedians like us. So if you could tell us a little bit about your trajectory, how, you know, what did you go to school for? And then how did you know you wanted to become a writer? And how, did, you know, what was the path that led you mm. to where you are today with so many successful books under your under your belt? Um, well, I came from a large family of artists, really. Everyone in my family is very creative. Everybody had something, um, painters, musicians. And my grandmother's thing was writing. So my grandmother, who had nine children, um, would just lock herself away and write. And I guess um, because there were so many creative people in my family, but nobody was earning a living from their creative life. Every, it was just understood. You had your job, but you also had your art, whatever it was. Um, so my grandmother used to just like write for herself. And in my family, it was just like, oh, my does writing. That's what she does. And it was always treated and honored. Like that was her thing in her space. So I always had that, fortunately. I was, I was raised that way to like honor my artistic impulses. Um, however, I was a shy kid, um, uh, pretty quiet and not super remarkable in school. So like no teachers ever told me I was special or wow. anything. <laughs> so my writing was something I did only for me. I was never like the kid who was like, look what I wrote. Like I never did that. Um, it was just for me. I kept like diaries and journals and, um, I, you know, I was good at English classes and that was fine. And English teachers were nice to me. But when I went to college, first generation college student, like many, um, I went to NYU, big school. Um, I... Yeah, I had to sort of like navigate it on my own. And I remember I took a creative writing elective because I didn't know you could major in creative writing and nobody told me. Um, and I went to see the creative writing teacher during his office hours to tell him I really like writing and I'm, I'm serious about this. And he just looked at me like, like you? Like, no, don't, uh, don't even think about it. Don't even bother. Uh, and that oh. put me, you know, uh, back into my little private writing corner for years to come. Um, and so in, in college, I studied other things. And I, you know, I, I was working in the city in different jobs for a number of years. And I would still just write on my own. And I would do those, um, you know, nighttime writing workshops um and continuing education programs just so i could like learn more by myself and um i don't know years went by and i used to go to the barnes noble in union square in the yes. second floor magazine enormous magazine section mm -hmm. and that's where i discovered poets and writers magazine and it was like full of advertisements for mfa programs i didn't even know what that was and then i was 
that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to apply to one of these programs and at least like, it'll give me the excuse to like quit my job and go somewhere and just focus on writing and see if I can do anything with this. Um, Cause you know, I, I had no mentors and I had no role models who were working writers. Um, and uh, so yeah, I applied to an MFA program it was a three year program. And so all I did was I just like wrote like a maniac. And where'd you get your MFA from? Yeah. At Florida International University. So that's what brought me to Miami where I live now. And I just sort of stayed. So a year after I finished my MFA program was when um, I got my first book deal, which was for two books. Wow. wow. So all those wow. teachers who were haters, okay, and non-believers, <laughs> check the awards list of Patricia Engel. Just go go look, do some research if you're listening. Did you ever find uh, a kind of mentor somewhere in, in your journey, you know, or even, even when you were kind of established, did you ever find someone that you kind of were like, wow, I could learn, I could learn from this person? Yeah, and I don't, I don't want people to, to be like, I, ha I had um, like heroes, a ton of them, right. you know, like my parents were my heroes, the people in my community, like they were, to me, those were like the badasses, people who made a life in, in, in a different country. So I, I knew a lot about just like, you know, doing, working hard towards something that someone says, you have no right to try, you know, mm. so So I don't know. I, I was I was a little bit like a, a kind of go getter that way. Yeah, I, and and I found some uh, you know uh, mentors and, and supporters later later on in life. Um, and uh, and I'm a teacher now, which is crazy. Uh, I'm a college mm -hmm. professor, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe it because I was not awesome in school. <laughs> <laughs> but I but, but I do take so seriously. What, the, what I, um, how I validate the students' efforts, you know, because I know what that's like to have a teacher just, when you're just waiting for that little bit of encouragement that is enough to make you keep going for years, you know? And when you get the opposite of that, it can make you shut down for years too. Wow. Well, the colleges. Especially with writing, because writing is so like personal, right? And then, you know, yeah. if somebody kind of like, just, you know, stomps on your self-esteem, you know, it's kind of like, I don't even want to write. I'm just going to like ignore it. And, but you kept at it, which is like very, it, it's, that's something that is um, pretty in, in, inspir inspiring, right? To see like, you could have just been like, all right, I'm going to just, maybe writing's not for me, but you kept, you, you kept persevering. Listen, I, I was full of doubts. Yeah. I do remember in that same Barnes and Noble Union Square, Like, I don't know what year it was. It was a long time ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. I remember, I remember. I, uh, like, the one of the front tables when you walk in, I saw this book on the, on the table, and it was, like, a, a girl, you know, uh, uh, with skin, her complexion similar to mine, and I looked at it, and it was Soledad by Angie Cruz. I mm, Soledad, Angie Cruz, yes. Her first book, and I thought, here's a Latina. Tri-state area, Latina. Mm -hmm. like me writing about that, writing about her life and just figuring it out and her relationships and you know how she occupies the space and her family and her community. The knowledge that this book already existed, you know, and was something I could hold when I felt, you know, here I am, just like 
you know, a Colombian girl from New Jersey trying to like write my own thing. Um, I thought of, I first I read the book and I bought it obviously, but and I still have it on my shelf. And I and I thought about it for for years to come. Wow. Well, I have to say the University of Miami is very lucky to have you because <laughs> colleges and universities right. need more lecturers and professors like this that not only instill the glimmer of hope in students, but push them towards it instead of away from it. So that that's truly amazing. Okay, my next question is so granular, you're going to think I'm like stupid. Um but I, I always like to ask whenever we have experts in their respective fields on the show, like, let's get granular with your process. So let's say you're under deadline. You've got this book deal. You have got to write. What does Patricia do? Like, do you grab a cup of coffee? Do you grab a cup of wine? Do you go to a cabin in the woods somewhere? Do you use Microsoft mm. Word? Do you use like Celtics? Like, what mm. is that granular process? If you if you don't mind sharing, of course, because everybody has their secret sauce. But what in that process can you share with us now? Mm. Uh, it's, it's not glamorous at all. You know, I, I, wake up, um, I like to write in the mornings because I like to write by natural light. I don't really like, you know, artificial light when I write. Mm, so, interesting. um, I gave up coffee for about eight years, but I picked it up again in the last year or so. So I'll welcome home. Welcome home. <laughs> get into my coffee and then I'll go, uh, to my desk, have a nice desk by window. So I get a lot of natural light there. And, um, and I'll write for um, a couple hours. I prefer silence. I, I don't write with music or anything like that. Um, I use Microsoft Word, not some fancy ah, program. Okay, okay. And uh, I take all my notes in paper notebooks and I keep all my notebooks like spread out around me um, as I'm writing. And um, yeah, and usually, you know, I know a lot of writers keep like multiple drafts. They'll be like, um, or multiple versions like constantly and i just keep one working draft like all the way oh you save over you just keep saving over yeah. <gasps> oh you yeah. got you got and i'll believe right <laughs> right and i just keep like plowing through and going through um until i have like a full complete draft and then you know then i start revising that and i'll do a, then that, then I'll, that'll be draft two you know, but yeah, I write and revise constantly in the same draft. That's so interesting. Wow. And that natural light thing is so interesting to me, too. We are so programmed to just go to a room with our computer and our cell phone and not really look around. You know, I don't know about you guys. I never check my surroundings. Well, I do for children. I make sure they're not in the room. <laughs> but for sunlight and shit like that, that's that's. I'm, that's a revelation to me that might just change because, you know, we write comedy. You know, we're not out here writing award winning novels. I'm sorry. But, you know, we write four page, five page comedy mm. sketches or other things that we're working on as well. And I love to hear just tips and tricks from the pros. And I'm myself. I'd like to try this with lighting or the right lighting. That's a lot more calmer. My process is like the 2 a.m. in my living room. Try it. You know what I mean? Try not to wake my my fiance up, <laughs> and then it's like I gotta get these two pages finished, and you know. But I want to have that tranquil. I do. I'm you know, writers always want to like have like like you said, Rachel, maybe like a cabin in the woods or go to a place where it's like there's no there's you know no interruptions. But I actually I I feel like I I work 
I'm used to working with kind of just chaos. Mm. You know, not chaos, but like, you know, noise in the background. And- the sirens of New York City help you? Do they inspire yeah, no. you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. To some people, they yeah. might. Occasional yeah. gunshot in the distance, you know? Yeah, um, inspiring. So, Patricia, you're going back to you getting published, right? Your first book, and I, I, I am I right in saying your first book was Vida? Yes. Um, and that got a lot of great, that got a lot of attention, right? And, you know, you were, um, and I'm just looking up at, at this here, you got something, you received the Premio Biblioteca de Narrativa Colombiana. Oh, I don't know what that is, but that sounds Jaime. very muy important. <laughs> Qué lindo. And, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, like New York Times, Notable Book of 2010, Florida Book Award, independent, so a bunch independent publisher book award, um, NPR's Best Debut of the Year. This is all amazing from amazing. your first book. So how did that feel? Like, was it sort of like... Did you, was it validation that you kind of were not expecting or was it just kind of like, this is kind of what I've been working up my way up to. And I felt, I feel like this book deserves this attention, not in an egotistical way, but in, in a way like, yo, my hard work paid off, you know? Mm. Um, Vida is, is a funny story with that because um, Vida it was sort of an accidental book. I was actually writing a different novel at the time. And I was having such a hard time with it. So when I was giving myself breaks from that other novel, I would write these stories just to like entertain myself. Like I used to do when I was a kid, like just, you know, I would go to the page to play, to write. And uh, at a certain point I realized I'd written a whole bunch of stories that were really connected and in conversation with one another and mapping out this life for this one character. and it was a book, but it, it was like, mm. I mean, it was not intentional. So in that way, that's a book I, ne- I never thought anybody would read because I wrote it for fun for myself. And then when it got published, I was like, still like, no one's going to read that. <laughs> 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 yeah, and they did, you know, of course that was nice. But I still, when I'm writing things now, I try to go back to that original space where I would just write for myself. And out of, you know, real love for writing and to keep myself company when I was lonely and I would just like invent characters that I wanted to know. Um, Yeah, so. I love that. I I have a frog in my throat. I love that so much. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Rachel's getting emotional. No, que me emociona tanto, pero me emociona. Um, pero eso fue un frog in my throat. Um, I love that so much. And those are really inspiring words. Um, would you please just do us the honor and inspire us with more words directly from your novel? Mm. We would love if you could read an excerpt of Infinite Country, which I have right here next to me. Um, uh, if, if you wouldn't mind uh, reading. And I, I don't expect you to read the, the one that I have in my hand. Like, I'm not going to hold it up to the computer. I'm hoping you have your own copy of your own book somewhere handy. Rachel highlighted a bunch of uh, stuff already. I mean, I do have my favorite parts, but I think I'm going to defer to you, Patricia, to please enlighten us with an excerpt from your novel. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to read right from the beginning. And uh, you'll sort of see, I don't want to have to explain anything there. You'll see where we, where we begin. It was her idea to tie up the nun. The dormitory lights were cut every night at 10. Locked into their rooms, girls commanded to a cemetery silence before sleep, waking at dawn for morning prayers. 
the nuns believed silence a weapon. Teaching the girls that only with it could they discover the depths of their interior without being servants to the temptations of this world. To be fair, the nuns were not all terrible. Some Dalia liked very much. She even admired how they managed to turn the condemned penitentiary population into mostly orderly damitas. It was a state facility, a prison school for youth offenders, not a convent and no longer a parochial school. The lay staff reminded the sisters to aim for secularity, but on those mission mountains, the nuns ran things as they pleased. During the day, under the nuns' watch, the girls practiced their downcast gazes. They attended classes, therapy sessions, meditation groups, completed chores, uniformed in gray sweats, hair pulled back, forbidden from gossip and touching, but they did both when out of sight. At night, in the blackness of their dormitory, they gathered to whisper in shards of windowpane moonlight. When the nuns patrolled the hall outside their room, they became masterful mutes, reading lips, inventing their own sign language, moving quiet as cats, creeping like thieves. They listened for the nuns' footsteps on the level below, sensing vibrations on the wooden floor planks. The search for rule breakers, disruptors, their guardians would schedule for punishment at daybreak. Wow. wow. Thank you so much. Oh, mm. thank you so much, Patricia. Beautiful words put together by a beautiful writer. Thank you for coming on our show and for doing what you're doing for the students out there in your teachings. It sounds so wonderful. Well, I I just want to say that I'd love to give my copy away to one of our listeners. So stay tuned to our Instagram at We Are Latinos Out Loud for that giveaway. And please, one time for Patricia Engel, people. Come on. This is going to be the first book in our book club. Your book is going to be the first book in our book club. Yes. Wow. I'm saying it right I now. I love this idea. Doing? I love this idea. Why didn't we think of this sooner? An LOL book club. Hi, we read. Oh, my God. Well, I, I'm only going to speak for myself. I read. Uh, I don't know if you guys. Um, this is so great. Patricia, thank you. I hope you had as much fun as we did. Thank you so much. I had a blast. You. you guys are the best. And we hope you can come back whenever you have another piece of work that you'd like to highlight. Or if you just want to shoot the shit, we welcome you, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Gracias. Cuídate. Be safe out there in Florida. Good night. Bye-bye. Thanks, Patricia. Bye. Bye. There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota. Toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more.